0: Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as it is fitting among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor silly talk, nor levity, which is not fitting. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Be sure of this, that no immoral or impure man, or one who is covetous, that is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them.
1: I want to begin by distinguishing a Christian call to pro-life activity and a non-Christian call to pro-life activity. And let me say at the outset that I am very glad and I affirm the existence of non-Christian calls to pro-life activity. I'm glad that there are atheists for life. Not that I'm glad that there are atheists. I'm just glad that if they're going to be atheists, they be atheists for life. I'm glad that there are radical, secular groups called feminists for life. We were reading some of their material in the van on the way back from uh, our retreat last week. I'm glad that they exist. One of the things that makes America work is that truths that Christians can deduce from Jesus unbelievers can deduce from other sources. If that were not possible, I don't think there'd be any hope that America, this pluralistic land of liberty, could ever function over the long haul. And it's not surprising why that's possible. Why it's possible that Christians rooted in Jesus, drawing all of their life and guidance and power up from him and his uniqueness and his word can find themselves agreeing on lots of things about how to live with unbelievers who don't stand on Jesus and are getting their ideas from some other source, evidently. And the reason that's not surprising is because we learn from the Bible that there is a law written on the human heart. Romans 2.14. And that law written on the human heart may be marred by sin, it may be distorted by fallenness, but it's God's law. Theologians talk about natural law. We heard a little bit about that with with, uh, Clarence Thomas and so on. It's true. And therefore it's not surprising that the, the discerning unbeliever under the common grace of God is led to discover that certain things are right and helpful and certain things are wrong and harmful and they often tally up with where we are having drawn up directly from the source of Jesus as he speaks in the Bible. So it's not surprising that there is such a thing as atheists for life and we should be glad that they exist. But my job is a Christian pastor And a Christian pastor does not exist, I believe, to mobilize unbelievers and believers in common cause. I believe somebody is called to that work. I believe many of you are and ought to be doing more of that. That is finding common ground, functioning kind of like a wise man instead of a prophet, out there thinking through from the ground up, trying to get people to agree where they can agree, to move together on what they can move together on for the good of our culture. That's not my calling. I believe I provide a lot of help in doing that in my calling, but my job is not to try to find unbelievers to work with me in doing what needs to be done. My job is to glorify Jesus Christ by summoning the children of light to walk in the light for reasons that flow from the light, that the light might be glorified. Distinctively Christian people called to live distinctively Christian lives for distinctively Christian reasons. That's what my life is all about. Spinning out from it are all kinds of social activities that you're called to be involved in. And I want to engage you more and more to let your sanctified mind flowing out of Jesus to be engaged with the other people in our culture, not only to win them to Jesus, but to make common cause with them in what is right and good and true at the behavioral level. A Christian call to pro-life action is a call to Christians... To people who are children of the light, to walk as children of the light. Or, to be real simple, it's a call to be what you are in Christ at the social, behavioral, pro-life level. Now, I want to illustrate from this text four times what I mean by being what you are. Living out of what God has already made you in Christ. This is what is distinctively Christian. You can do a lot of good things in the world and not be a believer, which is very scary. So let me show you what is distinctively Christian about pro-life activity when it is Christian and about all kinds of other activity. Illustration number one, verse 32 of chapter four. I'm just jumping up one verse before the text began. Chapter 4 verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now don't miss the ordering and the logic of that verse. It didn't say, Be kind, be tender hearted, and forgive so that you could get God in Christ to forgive you. That's reversing it. It said, Look at it, second half of the verse. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's a done deal. That's behind you. That's in you. That's reality. And out of it is flowing your action. If you turn it around and say, well, I've got nothing in here. I want something in here. I'll work hard to get it in here. It ain't coming in. It's not Christian to do it that way. God will not be manhandled like that. God is free. He is sovereign. He is gracious. He moves in on whom he will, draws people in faith to himself, and out of that forgiveness, they now begin to do new things like forgive. Here's illustration number two, chapter five, verse one. Be imitators of God. That's a high calling. Be imitators of God as loved children. It does not say imitate God in order to get loved. Just the opposite. As loved children, now do what your father does. People, little children, who feel themselves surrounded and wrapped in love by a gracious father like to be chips off the old block. They like to be like daddy. It's free. It comes out of being loved. That's what love is when it's distinctively Christian. Illustration number three from verse two. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So it doesn't say walk in love so that you could get Christ to die for you. It's it's past, it's fixed, it's finished. On the cross, walk in love For he has given himself in love for you. Be what he has died to make you and secured for you. Here's illustration number four, verse eight. Once you were darkness, that was a reality once and an identity. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So it doesn't say walk in the light in order that you might become light. It's just the reverse. You are light in the Lord, a work done upon you, for you. Now walk as children of the light. So there's the difference between a Christian call to action, a Christian call to to pro-life activity, and a non-Christian call to pro-life activity. We are forgiven. We are adopted, we are sacrificed for in Jesus, we have light uh, streaming into us from God, and the call to action is not a call to make any of that happen. It's a call to live out of that reality. Suck up from the roots of that uh, planting in God and let it come in your life. All of those things happen at conversion. When the Holy Spirit moves on a person, convicts them of sin, humbles them before the Lord, and they find themselves drawn out to embrace Jesus Christ and love Him and trust Him, cast their lives upon Him and count on everything that God is for them in Jesus, at that moment, when they embrace Jesus by grace, they are loved, they are adopted, Christ is for them, they are light, and now the rest of the story is, and I could use the phrase here from verse 9, of fruit. The rest of the story is is fruit. Look at verse 9. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Why does Paul call this Living out of forgiveness, living out of adoptedness, living out of love, living out of Christ's sacrifice. Why does he call that fruit? And it's because fruit is just what trees do. A good tree bears good fruit, a bad tree bears bad fruit. Good fruit comes on a tree. Being the tree is God's work. I planted, Apollos watered, God gives the growth. God makes trees. God plants. God makes the tree. And the fruit comes if the tree is good. And the way you become a tree, keep the tree good, is by trusting in the free-flowing grace of God. The opposite of the fruit of light is in verse 11. Take no part in the fruitless works of darkness. Now, notice this. Darkness is the opposite of light, and works is the opposite of fruit. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Works versus fruit. Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit, works of the flesh. Paul is really jealous for this word fruit. He he wants to describe the Christian life in a way that does not contaminate it with that dimension of moral living that unbelievers do that can be very good, but is an assault on God. Because it doesn't trust him for the sap to produce the fruit. The Christian life is a drawing on adoptedness, a drawing on being loved, a drawing on forgiveness, a drawing on light, and a bearing fruit. There's a difference between works that come from the flesh, which is the self-reliant, non-spirit-dependent ego, and the fruit of the spirit which is god by grace at work within us through forgiveness through being lovedness through adoptedness through the light that has shone into our heart do you see the difference now between a christian call to action for life and a non-christian call to action for life. I'm a Christian pastor. It is not my job to mobilize the works of the flesh, even if they are pro-life works of the flesh. My job is to call you to be Christian, to live in Christ, to draw from Christ, to enjoy all that God is for you in Christ. Now, Let's focus in on the verse that I believe is a distinctive application of this Christian way of life to abortion. I don't believe abortion is necessarily in Paul's mind here. I believe that given what abortion is, it is included in what Paul intends. Verse 8 says, second half of the verse, walk as children of light. And then that's spelled out in verse 11 negatively. And positively, negatively, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Since you're walking as children of the light, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather, here's the positive side, expose them. So walking in the light, because you are light, means you're going to do two things. You're going to avoid doing works of darkness And you are going to expose works of darkness that others are doing. And abortion is a dark and barren work. And we are called to expose it. This word exposes, again, verse 13. Look look at verse 13. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. When anything is exposed by the light. So here we are. Walking in the light and letting our light so shine before men. And when it falls upon dark, barren works of darkness, it exposes them and they become manifest for what they are. Shameful and destructive and suicidal. Refer back up to the earlier verse 6, I believe it is, where it says, For these things the wrath of God is coming upon the world. Therefore, to expose them and show them for what they are is a delivering and loving activity. John 3:20, Jesus says, "Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed." And therefore, what are we going to do? Leave them in the dark, loving the dark and hating the light, and go on our merry way. God is calling the church to be the conscience of the culture, I believe. You know what the conscience is. Your conscience is that capacity that God has given you to be self-conscious about your behavior so that it looks upon your behavior as you do things and it sees some behavior and it approves and you feel good and sleep well. It sees other behavior and it disapproves and you feel guilty and you need to repent or you won't sleep well. Conscience is a blessed gift from God. And the culture is given a conscience, and it's called the Church of Jesus Christ. And if we don't assess the works of the world, approving some, disapproving others, who will? I hope you feel the force of this because it is radically different from the passivity and the moral withdrawal of so many believers. So many fundamental, conservative, evangelical, Bible-believing Christians have what I would call a sheer avoidance ethic. That is, oh, I know what the works of the darkness are and, and what the unfruitful works of the flesh are, you betcha, and I don't ever do those. No, sir. Avoid, 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 avoid. That's my life. Big deal. That's half the Christian life, according to verse 11. That's the first half. It's an important half. I'm an avoider. I don't think I ought to be involved in any works of darkness. I believe in an avoidance ethic. But when that's all you give to this world is a moral withdrawal so that you can keep safe, you've only lived half the Christian life. Because the second half of the verse, and it's the one on which the emphasis falls, is do not share in the fruitless works of darkness, but rather even expose them. So the two halves of the Christian life are when you walk as children of the light, living out of adoptedness, living out of freedom, living out of being loved, living out of the sacrifice of Christ, you both avoid darkness and you expose Darkness, because darkness is bringing the wrath of God on this world, and you don't want it to happen. I hear a call of God to Bethlehem in verse 11. Expose the fruitless, barren work of abortion for what it really is. At this point in the service in the last hour, some people walked out. And you're free to do that. But it strikes me as strange that people who believe so much in choice are often so slow to listen to arguments that could lead to free choices. I believe God is calling Bethlehem, God is calling all believers to expose the fact that That 1.5 million babies are killed in this country every year. And that since Roe v. Wade in 1973, in one moment overturned the conscience of 48 states, 27 million of them have lost their lives. I believe God is calling us to expose the fact that 30% of all the babies conceived in this country die by abortion. I believe that God is calling us to expose the fact that in the little pamphlet called Yes, Neon, distributed to high schoolers in this city, under the section on abortion, which is very positive, they are told this. Medically, it is advisable not to seek an abortion or get an abortion before the seventh week. Which means... That if young teenagers follow the counsel that is offered them medically, they will not get abortions before the eighth week. And do you know what is happening by the eighth week? The heart has been beating for a month. There are measurable brain waves. There's a response to touch. There's a little grasping of the hands. There's swimming in the amniotic fluid with the arms. There are distinct arms and legs and sexual organs. And mark this, those things must, not may, must be present before medically it's advisable to rip them to shreds with an aspiration machine. God is calling us to expose the fact that in 1987, 9,000 babies older than 21 weeks in the womb were killed. Mark you, this is babies that are hovering right on the brink of viability, almost able to breathe for themselves at 21 weeks, holding in two hands here like this, and they were killed, 9,000 of them in America. And the media will spend weeks... On 62 dead people under a freeway in San Francisco, not once in 20 years will they mention 9,021 week old, almost viable human beings. Not once. 93% of all the media elite in this country are radically pro-abortion. We are called to expose the fact that... In Minnesota, there is a fetal homicide law that makes it murder to kill an embryo or a fetus intentionally, except in the case of abortion, which means, in other words, that it is unlawful to kill an embryo or a fetus unless the mother chooses to have it killed. And that is a strange and dark criterion for lawfulness. God is calling us to expose the fact that there is an inescapable schizophrenia, to quote Steve Calvin in our church, an inescapable schizophrenia in aborting a perfectly normal 22-week-old fetus at one end of the hospital and doing intrauterine surgery on its equally aged cousin at the other end of the hospital. God is calling us to expose the fact that viability is not a criterion for personhood. Viability outside the womb is not a criterion for human personhood because you would not want your personhood or your right to life to be determined by whether you were viable without a a dialysis machine or a respirator any more than a baby should be called unviable and unhuman because he's dependent on a placenta which does exactly the same thing that a respirator and a dialysis machine does. Where do we get the idea that viability, that is non-dependence on a placenta for the cleansing of the blood and the giving of oxygen should somehow create personhood? God is calling us to expose this, the fact that, that size and reasoning capacity is no criterion for personhood. Almost all the abortions in this country are done on babies about this size. And it's got a head, it's got little ears and eyes and nose and a mouth and feet and arms and little sexual organs. This is a baby. This is not a blob. This is not inhuman. This is one of us. If we were to say that size and reasoning capacities determine human personhood, then we would be free to take the lives of newborn children who are also a lot smaller than we are and also can't think very well when they are born. We are being called by God to expose the fact that genetically the human embryo and the human fetus are radically, utterly totally, irreversibly distinct from all other animal life, and if they're just left alone and fed, they will grow up. They do not become something that they are not. They grow into the fullness of what they are. We are being called to expose the fact that when two legitimate rights are clashing, say the right not to be pregnant and the right not to be killed, Justice demands that the greater right take precedent over the lesser right. That is the right that does not intentionally kill. We are called to expose the fact that there are tens of thousands of crisis pregnancy centers in this country full of love, full of compassion, and they are almost all free. Unlike the abortion mills that charge a plenty and charge the more the longer the baby's foot is. We are being called as Christians to expose the fact that in Minnesota there are no unwanted babies. Marianne Kuharski, the head of Pro Life Minnesota, wrote so courageously and boldly, I heard her say this downtown at City Hall as well. She said, Any baby in this state that is about to be aborted because it is not wanted, I will adopt. She has 13 children. She was herself adopted. And there are hundreds like her, many in this church, and I praise God for the Micah Fund. There are no unwanted babies in Minnesota. None. No matter what their physical problems are, no matter what their color is. And God is calling us to expose the fact that it is hypocritical in the extreme to talk as though choice were an untouchable absolute in this matter and to turn around and oppose choice in matters of gun control, welfare support, affirmative action, minimum wage, and dozens of other things where we know it is right to limit the choices of people for the good of other people. It's a sham argument. Life limits all choices. And we are being called to expose the fact that trespassing to save life is not a crime. Trespassing to save a life is not a crime. Nor does it undermine the legal processes and the court system and the constitutional law of America. On the contrary, it endorses and supports the one foundational truth without which our laws are coming down namely the inalienable right to life of all human beings where that right is destroyed america will be destroyed the constitution will be destroyed the courts will be destroyed for there is no platform on which to build laws if life is negligible the only law left is the law of the law of wrong All individual choice that is anarchy and that is where we are moving in America if we do not have strong voices calling America back to the inalienable rights of the preciousness of human life created in the image of God and therefore I close by saying this text Ephesians 5.11 expose the dark unfruitful work is a call to action at Bethlehem. It's a call first to conversion, to be a good tree, to let our roots be sunk in forgiveness, in acceptedness, in adoption, in love, in light, and to draw on forgiveness. And mark this, those of you who have had abortions, and there's probably a dozen of you in this room right now, We're talking forgiveness for abortion. Five abortions. Out of this infinite love of God by which He adopts the ungodly through faith into His family, there flows an ocean of forgiveness. And summons women and men who have been involved in abortion into the great cause of life and liberty. In the pursuit of these little babies, happiness. God is calling us to act. And so I close by asking you to to take your response form right now. Would you reach for it, please, and look at it with me? I just want to draw your attention to it as we close. And ask you to pray and seek the Lord about whether or not you should be a part of the pro-life task force, a life chain a Freebay Banners team, sidewalk counseling, the Micah Fund for adoption, or other. The pro-life table is in the far back corner over on my right of the commons. You can take this and leave it there so that we could be in touch with you about these things when we engage in them. As we close... There are going to be prayer teams, a prayer team in that corner, in that corner, in that corner, in that corner. And they're ready to pray with you about anything at all. It may relate to abortion in your background. It may relate to a sickness that you're feeling right now in your body, some stress in your family, some problem at work. They would love to bear your burdens with you and fulfill the law of Christ this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray with all my heart that those who have felt the point of this message as a painful reminder of a dark deed would find that in that point is not poison, but healing. And I pray that the sweetness of the blood of Jesus flowing out for the forgiveness of sinners would cleanse and liberate and empower for the cause of life. Would you undo passivity and moral withdrawal and sheer reluctance to act from our lives? Make us, I pray, a mighty force for life And would you transform the sentiment, the opinion, and the mindset of our culture in the years to come, that abortion would be looked upon with as much disfavor as slavery. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.